Hey guys, Barbara here. Happy New Year. I hope your 2023 is off to a great start. I wanted to let you know our new season is going to begin on February 3rd. That will be our first new episode. And I wanted to tell you that we have a lot of exciting things planned for this season and a lot of great episodes already ready to go for you. So please tune in on February 3rd. And welcome to Financials Podcast, Future Rich. I am Barbara Ginty, your host, and I'm also a CFP, and I'm very excited about today's episode. I'd like to uh, welcome Jimmy DeSico from Super Coffee. Barbara, thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. Yeah, we're excited to have you. We have a pretty much female uh, audience, and I interview a lot of female guests, but I like to do uh, expert series. So you're going to be one of our expert interviews today because uh, it's always nice to have a success story and to have some motivation uh, to start a business, a side hustle. And I feel like who better than you to talk about how to start a business and how to be successful? Well, I appreciate it. I don't know how much of an expert I am, but it's certainly a, we're, we are a work in progress over here. <laughs> well, very, very good. I mean, I definitely feel like there's a lot that our listeners can learn from you. Um, so for those that aren't familiar with your story, do you want to kind of take us through how Super, uh, Super Coffee started? I mean, you took it from an idea into a full-fledged, huge business. And just so our listeners, I'm a big fan, so I was, I'm very excited to have you on the podcast. So I have my Super Coffee right here. Nice afternoon pick-me-up. Oh, yeah. No, that's, I, I appreciate it. Um, so, yeah, just a little background on us. Like, I'm the oldest of three brothers. We all grew up in Kingston, New York, which is so funny. I mean, we're from, you and I are from the same hometown, but we haven't connected really until recently. Um, oh, yeah. So, that's our fun fact. So, we are connected. So, and that's how I ended up drinking super coffee because I watched you all on Shark Tank, which I will ask you about in a few minutes. And I was in Whole Foods and I remember seeing it in Whole Foods and I was actually going to buy a different iced coffee. Ooh. I know. It's my like little treat. Um, I don't buy a ton of coffee, but you know, when I do, I do buy iced coffee. And I saw the super coffee right next to the one I was gonna buy. And I was like, you know what? I'm gonna support a local business. I saw them on Shark Tank. I know they're from Kingston. That's where my other business is based. And so I grabbed it and really enjoyed it. And then fast forward and now you're on the podcast. <laughs> I love it. Yeah. And so many connections in common. So um, yeah, I think the one thing about Kingston, it's super small town, blue collar, a lot of, lot of passionate people, a lot of loyal people, and a lot of people stay in Kingston, which is awesome. You know, my, my family was, my dad was born and raised there. I got a bunch of aunts and cousins and stuff there. Um, but for my brothers and I, we, we always played sports and we, sports to us was a big part of our identity growing up. You know, our mom worked at the YMCA and, and I mean, we were basically raised at the Y playing every sport that the Y offered and, and right up straight up through Kingston high school, football, baseball, basketball. And we realized we could use sports as a means to an end and, and not necessarily to get out of Kingston. Like I don't want to imply that Kingston is a place that people want to get out of, but for us, like we got into schools, we got into college by through football and, and basketball. And we learned so many countless lessons along the way from sports is teamwork, it's, it's commitment, it's discipline. It's a lot of the stuff that allows us to do what we do today. And when we were in college, my brother Jordan was falling asleep in class. He had 5 a.m. practice and late nights in the library, and he didn't want to drink the sugary bottled coffee drinks that his school store offered, mainly the Starbucks Frappuccino, which is still the number one bottled coffee in the country with 46 grams of sugar per bottle. So Jordan- That is more than a candy bar. 
Oh my gosh. It's, it's more than any adult male should have in a day in, in one <laughs> bottle of coffee. Yeah. So for us, we're like, we're not drinking this stuff. And uh, kudos to Jordan. He started brewing some coffee for himself and he'd add things like protein and healthy fats to fuel his workouts and his, his class. And it gave him energy. He was no longer falling asleep. And he was like, wow, this is good. It tastes good. I can sell it to my teammates, make a little cash on the side. And once he realized that it was becoming an actual solution to a problem that was much bigger than his campus, he, uh, he called me and my brother Jake and said, hey guys, I'm, I'm dropping out of school to start a coffee company. And we're like, what the hell are you talking about? Like, shut up and go back to class. You know, he's a full scholarship basketball player. Um, so once we realized there was no convincing Jordan otherwise, we, uh, I left my job on Wall Street. I was working in finance in New York right out of college. And my brother Jake was finishing his senior year at Georgetown where he played football. And the three of us got into business together. And we didn't know anything about beverage. We didn't know anything about startups. We, uh, all we knew is we needed customers and we needed to sell coffee. So we went to the local Whole Foods and, and we found the grocery manager and we said, hey, we're super coffee and you guys don't carry anything like this and presented him with a batch that we made right in Jordan's blender. And the guy's like, yeah, this tastes pretty good. You go to the school down the street, bring some of your friends up here. As long as they're buying it, we'll give it a shot. And that was it. That was our first opportunity back in 2016. And we started pouring samples at that one store. We didn't leave that store until we were the best selling bottle of coffee. And that was like post up there every day every day. Like we, it was obsessive. Like we were, we were basically throwing bottles into people's carts as they walked by. Like we, we, uh, it was fun though. Like that's, we, we got the feedback from the customers. We, we learned how to influence sales. We learned the ins and outs of a grocery store, how to write invoices, how to deliver orders. Like we really learned from the bottom up. Cause it's make the a competitive market space from what I've researched. Yeah. I mean, so it's, it's an easy market to get into. Like anybody can, anybody can start a food or beverage product and, and give it a shot but it's a hard market to be successful in because of the way the system's built. You know, it's, it's Coca-Cola, it's Pepsi, it's right. Kellogg, it's, it's, it's Frito-Lay. It's all of these big brands that have a hundred years worth of infrastructure, the factories, the trucks that, that we don't have. And right. you walk through the grocery store, the thing that a lot of us don't realize, and I didn't know this until I got into the business is most of the brands that we see and are familiar with belong to one of those big companies that I mentioned, you know, so Coke just doesn't, right? Exactly. Coke doesn't just deliver Coke and, and Sprite. They're, they're bringing honest tea and vitamin water and, and Zico coconut water and, and core protein, like the whole shelf. So like they control the real estate within the stores. So for us, it's been tough to, uh, to, to crack that. Um, now today, I mean, we're the, we're the third largest bottle of coffee in the U S behind Starbucks and Duncan. And that's because in four, yeah, in four, in four years, in four years, in yeah. four years, if you can believe that. I mean, it feels like a lifetime. Um, but the way we got there was that, that strategy from the store one is like, hey, we're not leaving a store. We're not leaving this neighborhood. We're not leaving this town to go to another town until we're the best selling coffee. So really from the ground up, store by store, one case at a time, went from moved from DC to Baltimore to Philly to New York and right. really started to own that Northeast market for the first three years. And then really within the last 18 months is when we expanded nationally. Now today we're distributed in over 35,000 stores across the country. Wow. That's pretty incredible. Now did you were on Shark Tank? So some questions about that. Did that help? Cause you didn't get a deal on the show. Um, did that have, first of all, how did you get on it? And then did that help your growth, that exposure? Absolutely. Yes, it did. And didn't get a deal. And, and like I mentioned, we were athletes, we're very competitive. So we were, we were devastated. You know, we, we felt like we lost the Super Bowl on national television, didn't even get an offer from any of the sharks. Uh, so how it happened, like I said, the for the first 18 months, we were pouring samples every day at the stores. And 
uh, especially when Jake Jordan and I were at the same store at the same time, people would come and hear the story and they'd be like, oh, you guys should go on Shark Tank. We'd smile and wave and be like, oh, yeah, that's flattering. But like 40,000 companies apply every single season that's for 100 crazy. spots. Yeah. And we, we were overwhelmed with just growing the business that we were like, look, guys, that's a gamble. Let's not take the time to do the 30-page application. Each of us had to fill out a 30-page application. So 90 pages, oh, 10 minute wow. video. And we're like, we're not going to do that. And then one day, I mean, one of our core principles that for, for, at Super Coffee is like, you don't get lucky sitting on the couch. You know, you got to get out there and create your own luck. And <laughs> for us, I was, uh, I was just scrolling through LinkedIn one day and I saw like a second degree connection comment on a stranger's post saying, hey, I'm friends with a Shark Tank producer. They're looking for applicants. Hit me up. So I slid in there. Like I intercepted this lead and DM'd the guy. I was like, hey, my brothers and I would love to learn more got on the phone with a producer and basically he put our application at the top of the pile. And for, for us, I'm like, wow. So this is, this is the odds are in our favor. Mm -hmm. um, so we go out, we, so about shark tank, like the first 90 seconds are scripted. So it's uh, something that we wrote and memorized and uh -huh. it's like, got to introduce the company, introduce yeah. the ask who we are, what are we selling? What, what percentage of the company are we giving away? So you practice that part. Yeah, we had that lockstep. Like we, I've never practiced anything as much as I practiced that because I knew that we were going to be nervous up there. Mm -hmm. And we we did mock pitches. You know, we got some of our friends in DC, some of our investors, and and just repped it and repped it and repped it. So we get up there. And I'm like, even if I black out, I'll be able to spit out these lines. <laughs> remember this no matter what. Yeah, yeah. And then after that, it's just a very real dialogue, just like what you and I are doing right now. And it, the, the, we were in front of the sharks for over an hour. They were grilling us with questions. Yeah. Um, who is the was toughest? Cool. What's that? They don't, they don't show the whole hour. So who did you think was the toughest? Um, I would say Cuban was the toughest. Okay. And I think just because he's so disenchanted, like he, yeah. he, what he said to us, he was like, guys, like this is really competitive. It's really tough. We, we see this all the time. Food and beverage startups with a cool idea. But for every billion dollar exit you see in our industry, there's 50, a $50 billion graveyard of brands that right. didn't make it. Didn't yeah. Make it, yeah. And so he was, he was pretty much, he had his guard up the whole time. Um, Laura, Lori and Barbara were super fun. You know, like Jake was flirting with them. Like it was like a fun, a fun thing. And, and uh, they were inclined to do a deal, but the guy on our show that was the most, we were the most interested in is Rohan Oza. Mm -hmm. And he was the chief marketing officer at vitamin water. So he's like one of the moguls in beverage. And we're like, wow, we got to get on this guy's radar. Uh, but right before we went on Shark Tank, he announced two investments into our competitors. He invested in Bulletproof Coffee and High Brew Coffee. Yeah. So he liked what we were doing, but I think he was a bit conflicted and, and couldn't make a deal. Our next partner has a product I use literally every day. I started taking AG1 because these past few months, I've been prioritizing my health as I've recovered from a nasty case of long haul COVID. I love that it takes the mental work out of getting my vitamins and supplements in because with just one scoop of AG1, you're getting 75 high quality vitamins, minerals, whole food sourced ingredients, and probiotics. It's been super simple to incorporate into my morning routine because there's virtually no prep required and it tastes great. Plus, it's way cheaper than a fancy coffee habit. If you want to give it a try, Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com forward slash future rich. Again, that is athleticgreens.com forward slash future rich to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. That's a bummer, but what a cool experience. Yeah. Yeah. Super cool. And then 
those things are what you make them. You know, like we had a nice lift in traffic to mm -hmm. the website and store sales the night the episode aired. But okay. I mean, here we are three years later, the episode aired in February of 2018. So three years later, uh, we're still talking about it. We're putting signs up in stores and not to like be, be arrogant or brag about it, but to say like, Hey, we were on Shark Tank. People recognize this product. You should give us some more space in your store. Yeah. I mean, you actually have to, I feel like when you're starting out a business or growing a business, you have to leverage everything you can, right. And make everything mm -hmm. work in your favor. So yeah, absolutely. So, okay. So Shark Tank helped give you a boost, but probably didn't give you as much, right? Cause there wasn't a deal. So how did you get your initial investors? So you guys come up with a concept, you're working Whole Foods, you're getting it out in the Northeast. You had all quit your job to do it. Right. So how are you funding everything? Yep. So, um, didn't come from money. Like couldn't ask mom and dad for, uh, for some financial assistance. Aunts and uncles didn't, uh, that's not true. So two aunts, our aunt Sandy and Sauce, uh, they didn't have any kids and they're like, Hey, we, we believe in this. We see your vision. We'll give you 30 grand. And we're like, wow, this is, this is the most money we've ever seen. Let's do it. And then, so with that, that's how we produced our first few batches. We rented the delivery truck. Uh, but like I said, creating your own luck while we're in those whole foods, pouring samples, people would come by and they'd recognize Jake's Georgetown shirt and say, Oh, one guy was like, I, I, I'm a triple Hoya undergrad law school and MBA. And uh, Jake's, he's like, how can I help? He's like, well, we're raising money. Do you have any clients who would be interested? And later that month, we were in front of five of his clients who ended up giving us a check, writing us a check for $500,000. And yeah, so that's, that's how we got started. So you went like the friends, oh, okay, like I'll use air quotes with friends because you didn't probably know them before the grocery store, but you didn't go the VC route. So you weren't pitching, putting a pitch deck together and going VC. You were kind of doing it more organically, right? Yeah, it's sort of both. So like with these people, they were, it was a group of angel investors that sort of operated like a VC. Okay. Uh, so we put a, a, a pitch together. They didn't know, they were old, old school bankers. So they didn't know anything about the space, but we presented the opportunity in a way that was like educational and they could see the, the big mm -hmm. return. They actually cashed out at our series A later, later on down the line. Um, but in those early days, like we just needed people to believe in us. You know, we called it friends, family, and fools. And I guess these guys were fools, uh, but they, they're, they're, uh, they're still good friends and advisors and, and they made a lot of money on their, on their initial investment, which is awesome. Um, and from there, so like what we found, like there's, there are CPG venture capital funds, like consumer packaged goods that focus on food and beverage. Okay. And we'd talk to them and they'd be like, Hey guys, this is a cool idea. Come back to us once you've proven out sales to $10 yeah. million or to $5 million. And it's like, Thing. what we're telling you is we need your money to help us get, get there right get there. yeah so it's like a chicken and the egg thing so we honestly took money from whoever whoever would give it to us and thankfully they were all good people you know we didn't do any bad deals that we regret or anything like that definitely lessons learned along the way and then once we took that first round of cash we were able to expand on that data story from one store to 20 stores to two markets you know and once we had that data we went back to some more sophisticated investors and said hey we're the best selling bottle of coffee in these regions. We outsell Starbucks, we outsell Dunkin. And with a million dollars or with $5 million, we could do it in more and more markets. Like we have the playbook, we have the strategy, we know what we need to hire. Um, so 20, 2018, we raised a series A and then 2020, we raised a series B. So all in, I mean, we've already raised like 65 million bucks, which is, it's a lot. Yeah. But a lot of money. Was yeah. there anything that you learned, like what was anything specific that you took away from that? Like any learning experiences you would share from that, raising that amount of money? 
don't be quick to give people a discount, right? Like everybody's it's like on shark tank. They're like, Oh, well we're the sharks and we can blow this brand up. So we want a, a, a 25% discount or 50% discount compared to what you'd give a normal investor. What I realize is everybody asks for that. Everybody thinks they're strategic. You know, they're all like, we can help you. I know. So-and-so this is more than just money. We're strategic. And at the end of the day, like if you know, if you know where you're headed and if you have the playbook that you need to execute on and all you need is cash, I think you can be a bit more liberal with who you take the money from, you know, like it, you don't need the specific dream investor that, that everybody else in your industry goes to. So, uh, and the, the other, the other thing I'd say is like the right way is the way that works, you know, the, the way that works, like there could be a hundred right ways. And, and for us, like we were, I was a little paralyzed by like comparing ourselves to like tech companies and reading up on like yeah. Andreessen Horowitz and Sequoia mm -hmm. and like Uber's pitch deck and Airbnbs and like, how you set up a round and a closing date and all that never once did, did our fundraising go according to plan. You know, like we would always close rounds in different tranches throughout the year. And I mean, as the CEO, like I'm sort of always raising money. My fundraising hat is always on, like mm -hmm. we're getting ready to do another $40 million raise this summer. Uh, and I, I think with that, it's just, I don't know now that like, you have to prove, like you have to do what you say you're going to do with the money that you, you take, because that's how you build the credibility. Right. You have to have planned it out appropriately and then go back to the next investor and say, here's where we took the money. Right. And then we executed on everything. And this is where we're going to use your money and we'll execute. Yeah. And you got to figure out what metrics are important to you, you know, because like the plan will change. And I mean, I love this Mike, Mike Tyson quote. He says that everybody's got a plan until they get punched in the face. Yeah. You're going to get punched in the face. You know, like your, your, your beautiful pitch deck or business plan isn't going to go according to plan. Uh, so figure out what metrics you must hit and what's going to, to be impressive to investors. Um, and for us, it was top line growth. You know, we've always been like, the reason we've raised so much is because we've been growing quickly. You know, we've, we've chosen to grow at the expense of profitability. Uh, as long as there's like sound fundamental business principles, like meaning we could get to profitability if we pull back on certain levers. I'm sorry. Yeah. Okay. So, cause your, your goal is to get as much growth as possible and then turn profitability, I would guess. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, in an industry, like we're selling a bottle of coffee for a dollar 65 to our distributors. You know, we're, we're barely making 50 cents on every bottle. You got to sell a lot of coffee to pay the bills, you know? Yeah. And, and that's the other reason why there's the being successful in beverage is so difficult. Cause like Coke and Pepsi are literally selling billions of units every day all across the world. And those pennies add up, <laughs> you know, those pennies yeah. really add up. So for us, like it's not our job to, to get to that level, but potentially partnering with one of those, those companies down the road or, or, um, exploring like an IPO or a SPAC is, is a reasonable outcome too. So do you ever, cause you were in the nine to five, right? When you worked on wall street. Yeah. It was more like 6am till midnight. I was yeah. thinking you were having worked on wall street as well. Yeah. It's definitely not nine to five, but for people, <laughs> you worked a corporate job. Are there okay. ever days where you're like, wow, I wish I had a corporate job. Yeah. And it's not, it's not corporate. I miss the structure, you know, like for the first time in my life, I went from having coaches and professors and, and trainers, like all kinds of stuff supporting me as an athlete and as a student to going with nobody, no direction, just Jake Jordan and I, my, my two younger brothers and I figuring it out as we went. And there's, there's something that's like liberating in that, but also really scary. You know, like I, I wish like as much as I dreaded it at the time, like, waking up to go do run sprints at 6am with the team. It's like, I wish I had stuff like that where I had to be at, or, or I just, sometimes I miss the structure and that was more in the early days. Cause now I'm able, to, I have the flexibility to design my own day and sort of build mm -hmm. out my calendar. And five years into this, like I'm getting better at 
what I should be spending my time on, what I should be saying no to, um, and, and that sort of thing. But that it was, it was really uncomfortable for a couple of years. Well, cause it's, you don't have to think about it, right. When you're working for somebody else, you just get up, you go, you do your job and then not to say that's always easy, but it's all, it's all set for you. You don't have to figure out what the path is going to be and where you're going to allocate your time. Cause it's kind of decided. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's what makes entrepreneurship so difficult is it is pretty isolating. And the other thing too, is like, nobody cares, right? If, if I don't show up for work one day, I mean, now we're responsible for 110 full-time employees and a bunch of different investors. But like in the early days, like if we didn't show up, the business didn't grow, you know, yep. like it, it's not like we got, we got dinged for missing a practice or class. It's like you're, you go out, you fail if you don't do the work. So I think that's why it's easy for people to, to sort of give up when things get tough is because it's like, Hey, if I don't show up, nobody's going to yell at me for it. You know, I, I gave it my best shot. Um, and, and for us, I mean, thank God we had the three of us cause we, we kept pushing each other. Cause I would, I would hope or imagine that you're all on different sides. Cause I feel like entrepreneurship is a, like a roller coaster. There's like cycles where it's like really exciting moments. And then other times where you're like, Oh my God. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and it's still like that. <laughs> I don't know if that like ever that. goes away. Maybe. No, it, I mean, you get better at dealing with the stress, but it's just, the stress just gets bigger. You know, like we, the, in the, in the first year, my stress was like printing invoices on QuickBooks and waking up early to make deliveries. Now it's like, oh shit, we got payroll $700,000 this month. How are we going to make that? You know? Yeah. It's like, that's a, yeah, that's a big one. Yeah. Right. Right. And I mean, it's so cool because we've watched people get married. We've watched them have kids, you know, we've watched them lose loved ones, unfortunately, but like it's, it's a life now. And, and we're responsible for the livelihood of our teammates. And it's, it's a, like it's a great responsibility, but there's also pressure that comes with that. And uh, it's, it motivates us to, to keep going. Yeah. I was going to ask, how do you stay motivated? Because it is a grind, right? It can be a grind. It's constant and you're building your own path. Right? As you said, it's not as structured. So how do you stay motivated? Yeah. So for us, it's a lifestyle. You know, people always ask like, what's the difference? What's your work-life balance? And I mean, we chose work that is, is reflective of the things that we like and, and like how we like spending our time. Honestly, it kind of feels like we're still playing sports, but I mean, you know us, we're, we're into fitness, we're into better for you. You know, our, our products are reflective of that. We're high energy guys. You know, we sell coffee with a lot of energy in it. Uh, so it's all a part, like it's all meshed into one. And, and the fact that I do it with my, my two brothers, like it's family, it's friendship, it's, it's fun, it's, it's hard, but it's, it's, um, it's energizing, you know, like it's work that we want to do. And the thing that I realized, I mean, you hear it all the time, people who are critical of like our, our education system, like, I don't know what classes you liked or didn't like, but for me, it's like in the class, there were some classes I found myself just, it was impossible to pay attention. And then other classes, I couldn't put my hand down because I was so curious about it. Yep. And that's how we feel with super coffee is like most days, all day, every day, we're curious, we're learning, we're engaged because it's work that we want to do. It's work that we're interested in. Obviously there's some stuff like I'm, I'm not really a finance guy. Like it's the numbers that, that uh, I, I get distracted with. Uh, so there's certain things that we have to do just because they're a part of the job. But um, for the most part, like this is, this is what we're interested in doing. That keeps you motivated. Yes. I say for me for school, I actually didn't really love school. I liked working always. So yeah. <laughs> I always like to be working for me. It was like easier to focus on work than school. I always, I don't want to say I struggled, but yeah, sitting in a classroom was, I'd rather have been out like working. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's, that's it too. Like, right. I mean, I remember when you and I were catching up a few weeks ago, like you were telling me as a young girl, like 12, 13, you were making real money and it's hard yeah. to say like, 
it's hard to say I'm, I'm going to be spending my time in a classroom learning stuff that I don't want to learn and not getting paid for it when I can go wait tables at the local restaurant and make a hundred bucks tonight, you know, like, yeah, it's a, it's a, it's an interesting trade off. And that's ultimately the decision Jordan made. He was like, I'm, I love basketball. I got three years left in college, but I'm not learning anything in the classroom. He thinks he could make a, he thought he could make a bigger impact if he dropped out of school. And that's, that's the decision he made. What would be your advice for someone who has a side hustle and wants to turn it into full time or wants to leave their corporate job because they want to go out on their own and start their own business, whether it's a small business or a bigger business. Cause we have, we run the gamut with our listeners. Yeah. So I would say that the key to success is starting before you are ready. And it, it, that's not my quote. I just write it. I think, I think we, uh, we posted it on super coffee's Instagram, but it's so true because like, you're never going to be ready. I'm not, I'm still not ready today to be the CEO of a company this size, but you start, you figure it out, you know, and, and you overcome those obstacles. I think, I think two things that I've found in common with a lot of entrepreneurs or executives that, that we've gotten to know over the years is they all have imposter syndrome, meaning like, geez, yeah. why, like, how am I, how could I possibly be the one to do this or leading this? Like I'm, I'm not qualified. They all feel that way. And they all feel guilty when they're not working. Cause like, they feel like they have such a responsibility to building the business. And yeah. I mean, it's cool to, it's cool. Like everybody's going to feel that if it's a side hustle or a full-time hustle, whatever it is, you're going to feel those things. Just know that you're not alone and that other people have, have come before you. That's really, really great advice. I uh, referenced that to someone recently that when I'm not working, it feels like, you know, when you have an exam in college and you know, you should be studying, but you decided to not, and then you can't enjoy what you're doing because you know, you should be studying. I always feel like that with the business. It's like, yep. Yep. you should and, probably be working. <laughs> right. Right. And I mean, most of the time we're probably right. We should probably be working, but like now it's like, I do my best work when I'm also taking care of myself. You know, yeah, absolutely. Like whether I go on a weekend ski trip or uh, just take time in the middle of the day to meditate or work out, like just press reset a little bit. Like I'm not somebody who like that, that long day from 6 a.m. till 6 p.m. or whatever it looks like. I can't I, I can't operate at my best if I'm if I'm engaged in something for so long. So finding ways to break it up and, and play, you know, find do things that I like to do. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Jimmy, it was great to have you on. I think the listeners will love this. Um, just to reference, I talk about budgeting a lot on the podcast and I always talk about cutting out coffee, but I also talk about balance and like giving yourself things that you want. And so giving permission to all of the listeners to buy coffee, if that brings them joy and helps them because it's all about balance. Um, so if they are interested in super coffee, where's the best place for them to find it? Yeah, I appreciate the plug. Uh, yeah. If you're cool with it, let's. You want to give the listeners a little discount for for tuning yeah. in here? Let's, let's do, it. do it. So, uh, drinksupercoffee.com is our website. You can order directly from there, and I'll set up a discount code. Call it Future Rich Twenty Five, and it'll be twenty five percent off anything you guys order from our website. Awesome. Well, we appreciate that. Yeah. Thank you. Thanks for this opportunity. This was. All, it's always fun to see you. For all of my lovely listeners, you can follow us on Instagram. That's the best place at the Future Rich Podcast. We changed our name. And you can check out our online classes at www.planancial.com.